The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to a very special edition of Taking Stock. I'm Mike Santoli. Palo Alto Networks tried to hide its results by dropping on a summer Friday. It ended up becoming the most talked about thing on Wall Street. Hi, I'm Josh Brown, a.k.a. Long Island Warren Buffett, a.k.a. the big mega cap. I'm so fired up for tonight's show. I think, don't you think Palo Alto just did that to try to upstage us? Uh, I mean, you know, Friday night, the stock pops. Maybe Very anticlimactic, though. This is a yeah. stock that had given up quite a bit of ground because of this bizarre uh, scheduling of their earnings report, and then it was actually good. Yeah. Well, it shows this is a market that's been a little bit afraid of its own shadow uh, recently. So uh, we're going to get yeah. to a lot of what go- went on this week, and there was plenty uh, across all the asset markets and the economy. For the next hour, Josh and I, we're going to tackle all the topics investors are talking about or should be talking about. We'll discuss and debate, maybe even argue. Let's get right to it. We'll start with a segment that we call On the Clock where we break down big stories of the day, the week, the month, all in rapid-fire fashion. We're going to start with the mega-cap tech correction led by Apple. This is a stock that's been down all but three days this month. Uh, Second-worst performer on the Dow in August, slightly better just than, than Walgreens. And look, I guess the way I'm thinking about it is if the setup for this pullback was overexcited investor sentiment, yeah. valuations got a little bit stretched, people were a little bit too happy and complacent about the soft landing, um, and we had to correct some of that, all of the uh, excesses that I just mentioned were amplified in the Apples and the Magnificent Seven. I got to tell you, I think investors last year learned a very valuable lesson, and they're okay with allocating to stocks and going around mega cap tech. And in parts of the market, it really worked well. And I think that's the playbook now. You can see it in the flows. Uh, you can see it when you look at equal weight ETFs. You can see it when you look at SMID. Yeah. Those trades are still working. They're holding up okay right now. I don't think we need Apple as much as maybe we thought we did back in 2020, 2021. Um, And so even if Apple were to take a break for the rest of the year, uh, I think we're fine. I mean, look, the math says Apple's down 12 percent. You got Microsoft down a similar amount and the S&P's down five. Right. So everything outside of those two big stocks, which together are 13 percent of the index, are doing a little bit better. Uh, And yes, once Apple went into the Dow in 2015, it underperformed vastly the S&P by like 30 percentage points for the next year. Now, it's not like the rest of the market was off to the races, but it did hold up better. We'll see if that can happen. Yeah. One. So the last thing on this, uh, these stocks, the Magnificent Seven, they make up 25 percent of the S&P. The problem is they were 75 percent of the market's gains through the end of July. That is what you're seeing correcting. This is almost like it's an allocation correction more than a price yeah. correction when you look outside of it. And they've only given up a small portion of the outperformance year to date versus the average stock. So let's not say that this is somehow uh, an obvious game over or an inflection. All right. They want us to move. This is, for me, the biggest story of the week. Uh, Ten-year Treasury caught up in a hurry 
with a lot of the moves that we've seen in rates elsewhere on the curve, elsewhere around the world, quite frankly, um, just ripping to a new 2023 high. Actually, it's a 15-year high going back to October 2007. Yeah. Don't let that date scare you. It wasn't particularly a momentous time in the market or anything. Just the top for the S&P 500 for the next, I don't know, five years. That's true. But nobody thinks it was because <laughs> yields were too high. No, no, no. But uh, but but. There were there have been moments in this in, in market history, recent history, where the 10 year was like the thing. Sure. So like we've had where crude was the thing. There was a weird period of time where we thought Bitcoin was really important. The 10 year versus stocks is an actual thing. And I know we're going to get to that later yeah. uh, in tonight's show. But to me, on a very, that was the thing that really caught people. On by a very short term basis, I do agree with that. Um, I mean, is the 10 year yield a meme trade yet? I don't know. It's not quite there. Not, but not yet. what we do have, though, is an interesting debate as to exactly what's driving yields higher, because inflation expectations aren't really moving based on the market measures. Uh, you're really not seeing a lot of repricing of what the Fed's going to do. Maybe it's going to be higher for longer, but it's not. We're not talking about adding a lot of hikes. It's about yeah. economic growth is strong. Treasury supply is heavy. You have 2% real rates at the long end. 10-year yields give you 2% above expected inflation right now. Whether you think that's a good deal or that's a restraint on the economy, I think that's what the, uh, the market's trying to sort out. We have a reaccelerating economy in late cycle, and I think that it's tough so, for investors to figure I'm out what I'm so glad about. you framed it that way. To me, that's the message of the 10, if there is one, that is the message of the 10-year is that higher for longer is now consensus. Yeah. And that's exactly what an intermediate-term bond with a higher yield would, would indicate. Uh, there was a long time where the 10-year very stubbornly stayed low uh, because the idea was, oh, they'll be cutting by the end of the year. Right. That is not the idea anymore. So I don't think we're even talking about is there another rate cut or not. I think now we're focused on, well, how high might the 10-year go yeah. and for how long might it sit there? Worth mentioning, it did take a breather today. It closed right around four and a quarter, a little bit off the highs. We'll see if this is uh, a ceiling or not. Now, those rising yields having a big impact on mortgage rates, of course, hitting more than 20-year highs this week, above 7% for the 30-year fix. As a result, home builders under some renewed pressure, ITB ETF having its worst week since November of 2022. This has been an impervious group. Uh, all the fundamentals, demographics, supply, everything working in their favor. They can buy down the rates of new buyers, basically sort of subsidize yeah. the mortgages, but it gets expensive. What's your thought here? Well, you need demand to keep doing that. Yeah. And there's, 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 there's nothing that's that, – look, we know that this is a supply story, and a lack of supply story. That's what's bolstered those – so if you were focused on mortgages all year, it was the wrong thing to focus on. I wish I had known this in January. The thing to focus on was the supply. Mm -hmm. We just don't have enough houses. That doesn't change because mortgage rates go to 7%. Actually, perversely, if they start building less than they had been planning because of higher costs to build – or because they're worried about mortgage rates, then you'll get that supply shock all over again as we get into later in the year. So uh, I think the, the group is okay. The Warren Buffett buy in the yeah. second quarter, which we just learned about earlier this week. Berkshire Hathaway picks up. So. Wasn't a great signal yeah. to buy on uh, this week because yeah. they just had their worst day. I think you have to go back to last October. Sure. Uh, their worst single-day performance. But I think they're okay. Now, Kurt, Berkshire, of course, was buying between March and June because it was right. the second quarter filing. Who knows? They're probably still in the money on those. I do think the, that affordability can only be stretched so far. In terms of the overall housing market, maybe not for even new construction in a lot of areas, it's going to have to be a little bit of a break on that activity. I think that's what the market was trying to register today. The yields getting up to this level 
did get the consumer cyclicals backing off a little bit, which maybe is the market's way of expressing yes. some concern that that's going to bite well, on some. Uh, the, the, the Times wrote about this uh, this week, Andrew Ross Sorkin, mm-hmm. the average payment in America is now twenty six hundred dollars. Right. That's a very, very high number, both on in absolute terms and relative to our own recent history. And that obviously had had an impact here. The last thing. So so if you want to buy into this trade, if you think they're getting oversold, what are you looking at? For me, I'm looking at the RSI of the whole group. Take the XHB, which is the ETF. It's mostly home builders. There's some other stuff in there, but it's related. Uh, right now, the average RSI of a stock in the XHB is 19. Oversold, normally, you would think like yeah. 30. They're way oversold. They could get more oversold, but like that's what I would focus on. And, and if you are focusing on that, you have to be picking one or two of these yeah. names. I think we hear from Toll Brothers next week, so right. maybe a little bit of something to hang our hat on. Okay, we're going to move. Uh, retail earnings, Home Depot reported. Uh, they beat on revenue. They beat on earnings. Granted, those were lowered numbers in advance, but that's the game we love to play. Uh, new $15 billion buyback. We heard from Target, which was better than expected. Walmart was pretty good. TJX. Uh, and we got July retail sales yeah. this week. You, there's nothing that you could look at with these reports or with the government data and say the consumer is problematic. No. There's just nothing there. No, and, and in fact, the retail sales report was one of the main things that bumped the Atlanta Fed GDP tracker to 5.8% yeah. uh, on, the, on the current quarter. Now, nobody really thinks it's going to land there, but there's no doubt about it. It seems as if inflation moderating, wage growth saying right here, real, real wages positive, it sort of refreshed the consumer buying power to a degree. That's what a lot of folks are saying. Again, I do think we have this issue of, is it going to be about fast for now, then a stumble, right? Because you do have a lot of these things that either you're getting spent up in the short term or rates start to bite, or maybe the leading indicators actually are going to start to matter, which they haven't for 16 months going negative. So one thing that might be going on is back to school has, for the most part, now shifted completely to online. That's what's in these numbers. You look at online retail versus department store. It's not even funny at this point. It's, it's actually pretty scary yeah. if you have brick and mortar. This jumped out of me. U.S. retail sales, the biggest month over month and year over year gain since January. If you pull out food and gas retail sales, it's actually the fastest pace since February of 2022. Mm-hmm. So this is like it's it's almost as though there were no rate hikes at all. <laughs> and I can't believe that's that's the situation that we're in. Yeah, uh, I guess the consumer is not terribly worried about borrowing rates yet. So no. Like the only real takeaway that I think you can come away with this. Problem. No. And, and look, we talk about how the savings cushion that had accumulated is getting worked down. The San Francisco Fed had some data on that this week. Uh, we'll see what Powell says about that. I mean, how he characterizes this economic moment as to whether it's sustainable, whether it's going to have them rethink their kind of go slow uh, rates uh, kind of policy right now. That's one of the bigger questions. Finally, all that glitters is not Goldman. CEO David Solomon continuously under fire in the press. New York Magazine, a multitude of publications, uh, a lot of blind items, a lot of is he having the wor- Is he having the sources. worst summer of anyone on Wall Street? Um, you know, in some of these reports, it's a lot about, like, how he's jet-setting all over the Personal place. Personal stuff, though. Having, it's like... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's like people that I think he thought he was in, like, a quiet, private conversation with. Yes. Is, is anyone at Goldman doing anything other than calling Page Six anonymously? Right. Well, and that's, that's the, sort of this... Low-level mutiny as I think, one of the takeaways from it. And now comp has been cut, and I think even the folks who are spokespeople for the firm are saying, look, you always have dissatisfied bankers and traders on Wall Street. 
One of the things that's been going on at Goldman for decades, all of Wall Street, but Goldman more pronouncedly is, you know, used to be like the highest compensation anywhere uh, per person. It's been worked down. Wall Street's no longer as leveraged or as profitable. And that's working its way through, even through the partnership ranks. And, you know, here's my super hot, uh, you know, half-believe take, which is you had the Teamsters going after UPS. You had the UAW might strike big Detroit uh, automakers. And you have the uh, rank the, and the, file the at Goldman Sachs. The investment banking Teamsters are Yes, are, it's uh, the surly. empowerment of labor. At this uh, if, if, if you saw that he stepped down, like, Sunday night, would you fall out of your chair or not really? Not really. Who I wants to deal with it this? It wouldn't be that surprising. What's fascinating is it's not as if the – Aggregate performance of the firm or the stock. No, it's pretty that, good. That bad. It's and pretty good. Here's the here's two problems. Number one, Morgan Stanley is just blowing their doors right, off with a different business. Mix, and that, yes. and but fine, but that's it's an issue. Sure. <laughs> but number two, years like 2021 really ruin everything because people's expectations for everything get reset. Expectations for profitability, for comp, for how much activity a normal investment bank should be doing yeah. in a calendar year. It was just an outrageous bubble for all sorts of capital markets activity. Yeah. It, it, nothing should have to come to that. Unfortunately, 22 had to come to that. Yeah. And so people are just going to be unhappy. Look at the share price since he took over in 2018. Yeah. If, you, if you zoom out, he's actually doing a pretty good job relative to almost any other uh, person in leadership at any Wall Street firm in the last yeah, 20 Yeah, I mean, years. we should say, I, you or I don't know anything about the harsh management style that people are talking about, how we rub people yourself, the wrong I've way. heard many anecdotes. Yes, exactly. Rubs people the wrong way, maybe not great at messaging yeah. and communication, whatever, be that as it may, maybe distracted by the DJ thing. We'll talk about it. But, you know, as you say, it's not really a one-for-one -one reflection of how the firm has been performing. So, uh, coming up, rips and dips. Why one Goldman Sachs veteran, totally separately, is signaling caution <laughs> when it comes to this market. We're just getting started on this CNBC special, Taking Stock. Tonight, it's a buy-the-dip market no longer. Who said it? They said it. Plus, summer swoon, dealing with dog days that have more bite than bark. And meet Mr. Blackwell the not-so-secret weapon that could seal NVIDIA's future when Taking Stock rolls on. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed. Welcome back. This is no longer a buy the dip market. I didn't say it. They said it. And this week, Scott Rubner and team at Goldman Sachs said it. Now, uh, Scott Rubner is kind of the institutional flows guru over at Goldman. He tracks sort of where institutional and systematic traders, hedge funds, where they're buying, where they're selling, what the daily flows seem to suggest. One of the things he cites is the influence of these zero data expiration options become very popular on a given day. They kind of swing back and forth. Um, His suggestion is simply that we had a lot of the hedge fund community very, very long coming into August. They are net sellers. They're reducing exposure. And it's causing this kind of chain effect with the dealers having to hedge the options positions. Not to get into all the details, the point being, he believes for now the character of the market might have changed uh, with a bias toward the downside. Yeah, he's looking at the, de- the, the book depth in, in the, liquidity, in the, the yeah. trading of E-mini, which is, which is like futures on the S&P. This, this is him. He's saying this is new behavior. Investors have shifted their trading behavior from BTD, buy the dip, to sell the rally. New change in tone and sentiment. I, have, I always struggle with these. Yeah. Is there a new change in tone and sentiment because stocks are going down? Or are stocks going down because there's a new ch- right. So my, like 99 times out of 100, I would always say price first, then the change in sentiment yeah. uh, follows, sometimes immediately after. Uh, why would this not be that? Right. I mean, on some level, you really want to boil it down. It does kind of come down to more sellers than buyers. I mean, that's why market, markets go down. And even if you had this sort of mechanical selling based on the option flows. If there were mom and pop fundamental or Joe from Fidelity who wanted to buy at those levels, it wouldn't matter what the options dealers were doing. On the other hand, I do know what they're talking about. When you crack below certain index levels where there was clusterings of exposure and then all of a sudden now, you know, there are short term effects. I do think it's interesting, though, that in April and May, you know, by this analysis, it also seemed like the quant community was spent out and we still went up from there. So it, yeah. it's hard to know if this is an enduring change. We haven't tested a major moving average to the downside in the S&P for a really long time, the whole summer uh, up until yeah. recently. Being below the 50, look, you may not agree with this, but you have to acknowledge there's a lot of money being run technically. There's a lot of money being hedged technically. Right. And these signals, they may be squiggles on a, on a chart to you. To others, they are literally risk management. And so we have to respect those levels and we have to respect those breaches. If we're long-term investors, we don't have to act on them. Right. We just have to understand that other people are. I, 
And that's a lot of what being in this market is about, balancing two thoughts in your head simultaneously right. that may not agree with each other. And, you know, there's a lot of house money got built up, uh, you know, and, and there was a lot of a, a chase to the upside in July. So if some of that's being unwound, it makes sense. I do think the thing you want to be mindful of is he's suggesting lower liquidity, also bond market liquidity in August, not great. Maybe that's a reason for the jagged moves there. You know, it creates more of a possibility for air pockets for something to accelerate on the downside. But inter- interestingly, we didn't see that today. You haven't seen it really get... Yeah, today it was in August. Today, apparently, it was in August. Right. So it's only August on red days. Does everybody have that? Everybody's <laughs> jotted that down? Okay. But so also I, September. I know, almost September. Yeah, and then we'll do all the September memes. That's right. You're, you're around long enough, you memorize them, and you're ready to go on the first day of the month. Yeah, although okay. there's one thing that does give me pause is how well the market has tracked the big picture well, we're going to do that in the seasonal pattern. We're going to do that in the next exactly. block. How many times have you said the word doldrums so far this month? I resist it's August uh, 18th. I resist it religiously, so zero. Okay. Zero. Well, I'm enjoying the doldrums. <laughs> okay. So, personally. Coming up, the Dow seeing its worst week since March. The NASDAQ and S&P 500 are both on a three-week skid. We'll discuss what's driving that action when we come back. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The major averages all closing lower for the week as higher interest rates, concerns over China, and a mixed bag of retail earnings all weighed on stocks. So is this just a routine August pullback? or the start of a meaningful move lower. Let's bring in Adam Parker, the founder and CEO of Trivariate Research and a CNBC contributor, and Cameron Dawson, the chief investment officer for New Edge Wealth. Uh, Great to see you both. Appreciate you coming in. And Cameron, there is a way to tell this story of, well, what did you expect, right? We had the S&P up 20% in July. Investor sentiment was getting ahead of itself. Valuations were stretched. Uh, You maybe had some complacency. And and here we had August. uh, And it's still an uptrend. We're down 5%. Is it just that? Well, and I do think that corrections are very normal in even the best of bear markets. And we usually see them in that high single digits to low teens. That's all run of the mill. And what we were seeing into July is that you had a lot of position chasing. You had the dynamic of it all being valuation driven. There was really no change in the earnings outlook, even after a great earnings season. And so it did appear that there was this feeding on itself mentality that was leading to the upside. So no wonder you're seeing the air come out and stocks that went up the most. What did get revealed, if anything, Adam, 
in this pullback that you'd be interested in that tells us what kind of character it, it has? I'm probably more bullish now than I was a month ago. I yeah. mean, the market's mm -hmm. down five and the earnings are higher. I mean, 2024 and 2023 earnings are up a little bit. So if I'm trying to be, you know, intellectually honest, I guess I should like a little bit more now than I did a month ago. I mean, earnings season I, I thought was pretty good in aggregate. Yeah. I mean, the big cap tech stocks generally delivered. I think the key one's going to be August 23rd with NVIDIA. You know, I think the whole... NASDAQ hinges on their guidance and, and them finding that Goldilocks number. If it's too good, nobody will believe it. It wasn't pulled forward. If it's not good enough, the thing, you know, so there, there's some data left in front of us. But I, I think the consumer uh, is holding up, and I think earnings are pretty good. We, we do have a pretty severe pullback in some areas of the market, not overall, but Russell 2000 has given up 8% from July 31st. That's pretty substantial for those stocks. Uh, NASDAQ's been worse than the S&P. I've been talking about this just in terms of the time of year it is. A lot of options trading dominating some of the things that we've been talking about. Um, but I'm a seasonality person. I read your notes. It seems like you're not. We did make a chart. Yeah, uh, maybe I can convince you. Can we, can we put that? Uh, yeah, where, are we put, where are we putting this chart? Uh, all right. So what are we looking at here? No, not this. Okay. Uh, I think it's a little. I generally think that's. Oh, this is this is my chart. All right. Okay. I don't. So see it. It, the red the red versus the blue line. This is following a pattern that goes back to 1983 uh, in the president the, the the third year of the presidential cycle. I know it's a lot of data mining, but this is like right on schedule. This is when there should be a pullback. Ten, well, you're talking to a guy with a PhD in statistics, and you're giving me ten data points, and you're asking me if I believe or not. That's all I'm I have. Gonna tell you, so I can only give you what I have. That's why I wrote in the notes. You need like hundred more years of data for me to like, you know, not think it's astrological. Okay. I'm, I'm, but I, right. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Say more. Right. Say more. Right. No, I mean one of my favorite, uh, you know, things is spurious correlation. I mean, so there's this guy who wrote a book called Tyler Viggen. You can go to his website. I have no actually, I don't know him personally, but he has charts that look like this. It'll say like number of people that died by being entangled in bedsheets and the number of hot days in Maine, and it looks exactly like Adam, if I, if I asked you, If I asked you in January, <laughs> if I asked you in January, take a guess, what will be the most lethargic uh, month of trade for the year of yeah. 2023? August would have been in your top two yeah, or three it, guesses. Yeah, Just I, like eyeball tests no, from experience. I, 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 hear, I hear on, vo on volume and the like. I, I, I think the big thing that changed and, and you know, Cameron probably knows much more about this than I do, but I'd say the big thing that changes is the perception about rates. You know, in yes. May and June, the market ripped because everyone said, ah, we're near the end of the cycle, and, yeah. you know, whether they hike one more or not, we're done. I think now people are looking down this past week and saying, well, you know, five hikes in the num five cuts in the number by January 25 is not happening with what the data we see now. And, you know, people are worried again that the that's why the growth stocks have gone lower because the multiples have come in a little as people are now worried that the Fed's going to be more hawkish. I think that's the big data point. Yeah, for the and week. seasonality is one of those things where it can't be the only thing that you rely on. It has to be part of the overall equation. But we do know if you look at those four-year cycles, that third year is the best year. You roll to the fourth year, it tends to get a bit more struggling. On average, I don't have a PhD. No, so. I, just, I didn't mean to sound like <laughs> a jerk. I'm just saying like I, right. 10 data points makes me crazy. He has a player hating degree. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you, you have some levels here, though, that, yeah. that, you're, that you're watching. Right. Mm -hmm. um, where would this have to get to to where you say, okay, actually, I think this is going to be a problem? 
I think you would have to S and P. Let's yeah, say. I think you'd have to break below the August 2022 high. I think that would be an important what? level. That's around 4325. It's like 10 points below where the low was this morning. Yeah, about <laughs> that. So we're getting close to it. But then, you know, then the next level, that's kind of right around your 100 day. If we pull back to the 200 day moving average, you're in that low double digits kind of pullback. Even then, technically, you would still have an uptrend. The thing for us to watch is that do you see a spike in demand for very defensive parts of the market? Because that's been the thing that's been missing from this pullback. Utilities versus, not yet. Utilities versus staples or utilities versus the market hasn't blown out. You haven't seen staples versus defensives blow out. It's because yields are backing up, right? I mean, it's it's not about yields. It's about valuations this time. That's right. It's, It's not a scare. It's not an economic growth scare. It's a scare of too far, too fast, which I would argue is like preferable. If you're an invest, like I could live with that. Yeah, I mean that that falls yeah. into the short and shallow, not long and deep kind of reaction. We've, I agree correction. with that. I just think I think that everyone has to be cognizant of how quickly the narrative has changed this year <laughs> yeah. alone. This week, January's data was like hot, hot, hot. We're going to overheat. The Fed's got to go to six percent. March regional bank crunch. We're, we're the Fed's mm-hmm. done, and we're going to have the recession now. And then five months later, we're reaccelerating in late in the cycle. Who knows how real rates going higher? You know, the wild thing about all of those narratives and all of that ping pong is that throughout the entire time, you've seen only a one to two percent range for earnings estimates for 23, 24 and 25. So for all of those different scenarios, actual earnings estimates have barely budged. Yeah, the volatility of of the multiple is going to be higher than the volatility of earnings. And it's Mm -hmm. because people can't figure out. The you know the Fed path and and they got sort of taken I don't off. Know. That. I think the Fed path is like over here. It's set aside for now because I mean, what are we actually talking about relative to what they've already done, right? And to your point, if you look at the pricing for December Fed funds rates over the last two months, it hasn't moved. So you've seen all the movement in the long end. It actually is not talking about what the Fed's going to do this year or even next. But you got six turns of multiple expansion on the market from October last year through May because people thought they were going to be dovish. And I think now people are a little bit more confused about that. We're also not seeing seeing any activity really to speak of in spreads. Like we're we're not so like one of the things you would watch if if you're worried this is going to get much worse would be technical levels, let's say. On the on the fixed income side, you'd be looking at you know corporate versus treasuries or high grade versus low grade. There's I, I looked. There's nothing. I think things are generally pretty good, but getting a little worse. I mean, if you look at consumer activity, quietly, quietly industrial bit. activity, yeah. in absolute terms, things are good. I mean, we, we forget we had the highest nominal GDP in all of our lifetimes, <laughs> you know, a yeah. year ago. So well, I think that's know. also scrambled yeah. a lot of the indicators to a fair degree. Like yeah. the starting point of super high nominal growth. And then we have the leading indicators eroding for 16 months coming off of that level. Um, It's not been a good signal in in the past. You've been in a recession every time you've been in this long in a a losing streak for LEI. How are we not still in super high nominal growth? I know we don't. Atlanta Fed GDP now has its weaknesses. But even if you correct for that, you're still really strong on real. And then you add the inflation rate if we're running, let's say, three to four percent this quarter. I mean, that's taking you to high single digit. Yeah. Nominal growth. Atlanta GDP, uh, GDP now versus sentiment surveys or calling people up. What do you think inflation is going to be in three months? <laughs> or asking people how much you think we could rent your house for today. Like, <laughs> I'll take the GDP now. At least I know it's data being put into an algorithm. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd prefer to err on that side than on the other side. Uh, what are you worried about? 
Um, it's CNBC, so we need to. The you two know. things that I'm <laughs> most cautious about stock wise are retailers and industrials. I okay. think the retailers. The have, sectors you're most concerned about. Yeah, the about. three things that they have wrong with them, and you know, we, we do a lot of this language processing stuff so you can get it quickly. The shrink, you know, the stealing that's going out to stores, uh, the trends on financing. So a lot of retailers lend people money to buy stuff from their stores. And then the growth algorithm, like where they're adding, all those trends look like they're, they're bad. Why industrials? The industrials um, have very optimistic estimates, very high inventory, and are not cheap. And if I think about all the mistakes I've made in my career, the number one sort of explanatory variable is I confuse structural for cyclical at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you <laughs> cannot convince me that there are not some cyclical elements to the industrials underlying businesses, yet um, a lot of the estimates act like they're, they're, they're growing forever. Cameron, what do you think? What, like, what, what should be on our radar? I didn't mean to be negative, but you asked me the, no, the, the concern. That's what I, that's yeah. what I want. Be, that's that's what I want to hear because I think, like, it's, it's held, in a year where the NASDAQ's up 30% plus, S&P's given us 15%, 16%, I think we want to know, like, yeah. what do people think that the, we should the, be I think we also with. want to know from Cameron, what's changed about this market in Taylor Swift terms? Oh, yeah. What, <laughs> era, what era are we in? Are we in bad blood or no, not I quite No, I think we're that? in the folklore era, so oh. a little bit darker, more depressing, a little bit introspective, you know, introspective and Vulnerable. we came yeah. out of the 1989 <laughs> era, which was all butterflies and lollipops and optimism about the future in June and mm. July, so clearly we're shifting into a different era. Is folklore, that's the one with August, the song on it, right? Oh, yeah, so it is. That was You're pandemic right. era. Oh, sure. It, like, hit I'm it the I saw what you did there. I'm a Swifty dad. I saw what you did there. That was impressive. Well done, Michael. Well done. Thank you. Hey, great to have you both here. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Cameron, Adam, uh, thanks for doing it again. NVIDIA earnings next week. You might have heard the stock up nearly 200% this year to date, but has lost some steam recently. We'll debate how important this stock is to the overall market when the CNBC special Taking Stock continues. Coming up, paging Dr. Bezos. Does Amazon have the bedside manner for a move into healthcare? Plus, happy with your mental health? Then maybe skip our trip atop the wall of worry. And doesn't that make it our time? The bull market that Fast Times built. Taking stock, we'll be right back. a segment we've been doing called Top Down, Bottom Up. Two different ways of viewing or valuing a stock. We'll look at the top down macro trend, then go bottom up, getting into the fundamentals. First one, Josh, NVIDIA. Uh, You've owned it. You've known it. Where does it sit? Well, I I actually want to start with uh, the price targets because this is now a company where the high target on the street is 1,000 or above. The median price target is an even 500, which how often does that happen? Uh, the low target's 392. The average target 529. The stock, of course, in the 400s, yep. um, 434. I think uh, at some They're point today. 440. Yeah. Okay. All right. I lose track. Uh, anyway, this is this. Is, I don't want to call it a battleground. It's not that controversial. Everybody agrees the future is bright for Nvidia. That's not the argument. The argument is: Did we just price in the entirety of the 2020s uh, exactly. in about three months' time? Right. So, so for me. I don't know what the answer is. I don't think all of this decade, maybe two years worth. And that's tough when you're in a stock where all the, the fundamentals are in your favor. Yeah. 
But everyone else I already agrees. I want to point out that this is a it, this scale goes from 100 to 500. It's, it's a one-year chart. It's completely nuts. So you know this was your trend before. So even if it fell down to there, it's still going. All right. Up. So the, we're bringing this up because Nvidia is going to report this week, and it is the last of the trillion-dollar market cap yeah. companies to report. It is more important than ever. Important to the the semis. Important to just the whole idea of enterprise spend in the cloud, important to the NASDAQ, now increasingly important to the S&P, important for sentiment, risk appetite. Like, who is not watching this trade? Yeah, no, Renaissance Macro uh, made the point that basically, I think it was them, everything that worked for the market this year that really gave it energy is kind of encapsulated in NVIDIA. So that raises the stakes potentially. By the way, the $800 price target that came this week, that's basically a two trillion dollar market cap. Just yeah. for ballpark. Why not? Just throw it on yeah. the pile. Yeah. Uh, right. So right. So it's it's important to the market. Ron Adler from uh, J P Morgan's trading desk said the bond market spent the year pricing in recession. Equities priced in AI. Yeah. That is. I mean, this encapsulates that entire thing. Uh, I want to share something that my friend Jeremy Schwartz shared with me last night. Uh, Jeremy is, of course, the CIO of Wisdom Tree, one of the smartest people I know, and uh, he points out. NVIDIA is now the most expensive stock in the S&P 500. It is 40 times trailing 12-month sales. It is uh, about 25 times forward sales. And according to his research, stocks that make it to 25 forward sales or 40 times trailing do not have a great future ahead of them price-wise. Right. uh, And because you're pulling forward all of that. So he looked at 231 other companies reaching a similar multiple over the last 50 years only 20% of those names went on to beat the market over the next 12 months. Yeah. 90% failed to beat the market over the three, five, and 10-year period. Interestingly, do you want to know which two? Uh, I have a feeling they're household names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you bet they are. Uh, two that bucked that, that uh, uh, historical trend, Microsoft and Amazon. Yeah. So is NVIDIA, Microsoft, and Amazon? Or is it one of these other 230 companies that have gotten to be this expensive and then future performance let people down. The nagging thought I keep having with regard to NVIDIA is, can it be that easy? That the one stock that everybody knows and has bet is going to be the big one for AI is actually going to be the one that, that actually profitably does that. And I also think back to Cisco and EMC back in the late 90s where it was the same kind of dynamic. We can't buy enough of your stuff. We'll pay you anything for it right now. And then capitalism does its thing. Prices go down, competition comes. So show me the competition. No, exactly. And uh, and it just, it hasn't arrived. It's actually remarkable that it hasn't arrived yet. I think that's a testament to Jensen Wang working very quietly, letting people think he's a video game company, building out this infrastructure where no one else was paying attention, and then just being there when the wave crashed. There's nobody else. That could change. I'm not saying it won't. Hasn't changed recently. Ain't going to change tomorrow. It sounds like a, it sounds like a cop out, but to me, the re, the reaction to whatever the number is is going to be the the most important. It's going to be thing. a fun day. I hope I'm on. Uh, all right, let's turn to Amazon, which continues to make inroads into the pharmacy business. That was news this week. Uh, its deal with Blue Shield of California, of course, that hurt CVS uh, health shares because they lost some of that business. I don't know if you think Amazon is the pharmacy piece of it uh, material to the overall story. If they become acceptable in the eyes of Blue Shield, every insurance company in America has to... Oh, what are we doing here? I don't know. It's just a round trip. Oh, okay. Uh, I like it. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's me just kind of waiting. All right. So if, if, if you think about Amazon as like the last of the big names to break out, yeah. and the reason it breaks out is because we refocus away from AWS and we consider 
the possibility that there are some 20 and 30 billion dollar growth industries that they're about to take on next. Yeah, that gets me excited. I don't know if that's factored into the share price just yet. But look, this is one insurance deal. They're not even all of it. But what if one B gets three? Then all of a sudden, we're not just talking about AWS growth rate quarter over quarter. Sure. Now we have a new story to tell. I, I would say it's not all of a sudden. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's going to be a $600 billion revenue company maybe next year. Um, and I think that the bear case for everybody else in insurance is that these guys are going to do it uneconomically. Like they're just going to do it because they have the scale and they're essentially going to try to be more things to more people. They're, right. They're going to they're going to give and, and, they're and going to give away Cuban pharmaceuticals so that you buy something else at a higher margin. Well, or no, it's just that it's like we're going to be everywhere and yeah. there's going to be some kind of enterprise, you know, provides a solution. So we'll see. Uh, you know, we see this uh, definitely interesting spot here for the stock, too. If we build it, grab your hard hat for building a wall of worry. That's next. You know, the old saying, the market always climbs a wall of worry. There's always something to keep investors up at night, even in bull markets. Tonight, we're building it, the wall of worry, separating the real worries from the minor nuisances. But really, Josh, by the way, this is not glued. So this is. Yes, that's right, Michael. Welcome to our homage to Pee Wee's Playhouse. (laughs) Uh, We're looking for a reason to play some Jenga is is the honest truth. But I do think we can establish some uh, some important foundational ideas about what is really keeping the market up at night? Uh, Mike, why don't you start? You, you, you give me the first. Okay. You put your thing that I'm you start think with, is the most important. I, I think this is incredibly consensus at this point and basic. But bonds, if they don't calm down the and choice. remain for sale, um, I do think that's the most immediate one. I recognize that this may be already played out, but I think it's there. So am I repeating you by saying that I agree? Well, it could be the fact, But I'm going to yeah. explain it in the form of interest rates right. and specifically – I worry about uh, intermediate and short-term treasuries giving even more competition to multiples and and stocks in general. And this is, and I realize it's not fashionable right now to say we should still be worried about recession, but my read of the way the market has acted is not, uh, we're growing fast right now, we reaccelerated, third quarter growth's gonna be perfect, rates are going up for, for the right reasons. It's that that somehow has a feedback loop that hurts growth and therefore recession risk uh, is something that's going to be kind of lying in wait. And, uh, and at least it's in the back of everybody's minds, especially when it comes to what Jay Powell might say next week in terms of whether they feel like they have to hurt Recession? Ri- no. Yeah. All right. Uh, I was hanging out with Michael Sembolis from J.P. Morgan. This is his. Yes. Corporate profits. Well, so the, the general idea is that companies got by with a lot of price hikes. That's likely in the rearview mirror. The supply chain stuff is no longer a valid excuse. Uh, now, all of a sudden, we have to be concerned if labor costs stay high, uh, revenue growth slows. That's that pressure on margins. And that could, I think, sour uh, people from the S&P 500. I get that's been my favorite thing, though. It's like we were worried for a year, had a bear market because inflation was too high. Now what you want to worry about is inflation's not high. That's enough. right. And so it's usually the way it works <laughs> here. It goes circular. Um, this, again, very much headline driven. Yeah, I'm I, with you I don't consider... One. I don't think it's just China, you know, specifically like Chinese growth or whatever. It, to me, it stands in for 
the potential the for financial accidents. Well, wait a minute. Evergrande filed for Chapter which 15 is, today. Which is a, a localized accident, but does it expand? I don't think there's systemic uh, linkages right now to, to Evergrande. I'm old enough to remember when the, Twitter the said been that Evergrande was Lehman. That's right. So, um, I mean, that was I how think long today, ago? Today, that maybe. That was one of those things. Uh, yeah. All right. This is like, I guess, I don't know, is this lazy Powell? Powell? Like, just jet. Sure. Like, he says the wrong thing on a fishing trip this weekend. Right. And we're down another 5%. I guess it's possible. And, I, and that's specifically if, they, if he wants to. I think that's going to be a choice as to whether, in fact, he feels as if he needs to offer some tough love or just sort of say, look, look yeah. we can, hey, we can have 3.5% unemployment and we're good. No, yeah. no, no. I'm going to bring this out here just to say forget about it. Okay. Um, honestly, the government shut down. I realize it's going to get um, to the list of things to worry about. September 30th might be the date. We've had them before. Uh, it tends not to have any kind of lasting effect. And by the way, if we're worried about it, the economy growing too fast, you know, government shutdown often does bring one of those risk off moments. And then it's a little bit less spending for the short term. So I'm going to go ahead and say uh, sharks. And <laughs> I am from a town called South Merrick, Long Island. We're on jet skis and boats all summer. I have never been more concerned about the amount of shark sightings, shark attacks. Just it's, it seems to be this is the summer yeah. of the shark in New York State. Uh, I would really like it to stop, but there's only two weeks left. So I'm just going to try to survive the remainder of the summer. But this is a big one for me. Wait, so the sharks, what, they go back to Florida in September? Why is there only two weeks left? I, you know what? Two weeks left that I will be risking <laughs> okay. life and limb uh, to, to enjoy the Great South Bay. Got anyway, it. No, it this makes is a big sense. concern of mine. You also can have write-in votes. So what, what do you want to write? I was going to write the Yankees, but I've already kind of just written them off. If, if we don't get canceled, we do this next week. We'll write something in. Okay. All right, let's wrap Sounds it up. Sounds good. Coming up. The, the Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Doesn't that make it our time? We talk the bull market that Fast Times built next when taking stock returns. Welcome back to Taking Stock. Josh, we have a couple of potential market-moving events next week, to say the least. Yes. NVIDIA's earnings report, the Fed summit at Jackson Hole. Uh, so what are you looking for from each or, or something else? I think Jackson Hole, are we, we going to introduce the idea that maybe 2% inflation isn't always the right inflation mm-hmm. target? Maybe we want to say there are some environment where, uh, where we want to shoot for three or four because there's something really wrong and it's in the best interest of America um, to allow for a little bit more slack. And then situations where we want to say, no, actually, it's two. Yeah. Is two always right? No, first of all, I, I agree with you that there's no magic in two. And in fact, they settled on it in kind of a backdoor way a while back. Um, I, I, do I think- heard they settled on it where... Somebody said, how about one? Yeah. They said too low. Someone else said, all right, three. Right. No, 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 too high. Right. Okay, it's two. Forever. It's the Jerry Seinfeld bit about why there's two Pop-Tarts in a pack. It's yeah. like one's not enough, three's too many. That's right. But um, I do think that he's going to talk about structural changes in the economy, maybe something about whether productivity growth can make up the gap here, and maybe patience about getting to 2%. Who knows if that's going to be the thing. I do know for the stock market, is not some crucial level. Below 4% historically in inflation, especially when it's going down, is perfectly comfortable. So I don't think you have to necessarily, uh, you know, hinge it to that. We'll see that. We already talked about uh, NVIDIA, which has, uh, you know, the fate of the indexes and the whole world. Possibly my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big one. uh, We'll see how it goes. All right. I need to mention a pretty crucial uh, anniversary. I commemorate this every year. August 13th. That was Sunday. In 1982, 
Best mall movie ever, and this is an understatement uh, uh, in terms of its, its power. Fast Times at Ridgemont High was released. Now, that's the same day that the great bull market of 1982 to 2000 started. And we, I owe this to Eddie Elfenbein, who you know. Love Eddie. Financial Twitter. He's an ETF manager as well. Yep, yep. He always points out every year that these things happen. To me, it's the 80s began that day. Oh, and man. I was a kid, and I remember the whole thing, and it just felt as if something was changing uh, in the air. By the way, nobody knew that the bull market was starting, but in retrospect. So I was, I, was five year, I was five years old, but we discovered this on VHS, like yeah. many subsequent generations would discover it. Uh, Judge Reinhold throwing 90 miles an hour. Phoebe Cates may be single-handedly responsible for setting off the bull market. Just yeah. an amazing movie. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I looked up just now. You know what the unemployment rate was? So, by the way, that's yeah. a movie about... Uh, jobs. Yeah, in a way. Like yeah. every subplot revolves around someone works at the mall, someone's right. scalping tickets, somebody's a waiter with a parrot on his shoulder. It keeps getting fired from fast food places. Kids these yeah. days don't have jobs at the rate sure. that they had. Do you know what the unemployment rate was, though, in 1982 when that movie came out? Nine. 9.7%. Wow. All right. 10.7 million people unemployed the day that film was, uh, the month that film was released. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, and that was the end of something, not the start of something. Right. Uh, and we would see rates come down. Yeah, the Dow had bottomed the day before, and it was basically at the same level it had been in the late 60s. Uh, all of those actors who were teenagers are now what? Are they 60? Well, it's 41 years ago. So Are they 60 yeah. years old now? Yeah. Oh, they. All right. That's just about. All right. Hey, 60 is not that <laughs> old. I got to tell you. I agree. All right. I agree. Uh, what else are we doing? Oh, we have to talk about this Kid Rock thing. <laughs> Uh, if you believe that all of the billions of dollars worth of market cap that have come out of uh, Ambev uh, have something to do with Kid Rock firing, uh, I guess, is it a, is an automatic rifle at, at, a, at a case of Bud Light? So this was a pretty traumatic moment in the history of branding. And uh, Bud Light has not had a great summer as a result of this. But here he is. This is TMZ. And sipping a Bud Light, and I don't think any comment was made about this. Yeah. I don't think he sent the tweet about it. I do think there's a very high likelihood that maybe money changed hands. You think so? No. This I mean, planted speculating, I don't know anything. But if billions of dollars came out of the market cap of that company, yeah. wouldn't they write a $10 million check wow. to win back? Somebody who is arguably the representative. It, it of might be smart. It's just been a fascinating rethink in, in, in real time of exactly how companies think about their brands, what they do about Can them, Disney get Kid enemy. Rock to ride yeah. Space Mountain next? Right. Can Target get Kid Rock to push around a red shopping cart through the aisles? Yeah. That's the um, question. We'll see. We okay. absolutely will. Josh, good to hang with you again. So much fun. All right. Uh, it's going to be another week. Next week, we are going to be back here as well. Uh, NVIDIA, all the rest of it. Uh, that's going to do it for Taking Stock right now. Last call with Brian Sullivan, Stark Town. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.